This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom mask making gulf coast cosmos comic book co-owning asian american podcasters association's golden crane award winning (laughs) podcaster in this podcasting game i don't know how long i'm going to do it but i think i'm gonna go ahead and milk that uh, golden crane award thing for a little while longer because it really made me feel good getting uh, Asian acceptance and acknowledgement in podcasting. So I'm going to ride that way for a little bit longer. All right. This is episode 122 and I apologize for skipping last week. Uh, I have to admit I am completely overwhelmed and at my limit of things that I can accomplish right now. This is a pretty big deal for me to admit out loud because I'm one of those people that as my business partner from Gulf Coast Cosmos, Byron, would say, you mean Miss Charmaine, my plate is full, can you put more on? I have a problem. <laughs> my problem is that I feel really guilty when I don't take on more, do more, whatever. And I have finally had to admit over the last week or so that I am at utter capacity and I'm not able to meet some of the deadlines that I set for myself. So I need to actively adjust some of my deadlines so that I can accomplish more things with less stress, I guess. And that's where I'm at. So just to let you know what's going on, um, I do work in HR in my day job. And January tends to be one of our busiest months because we do the end of the year stuff, right? Taxes and all that kind of stuff related to payroll. The other problem is I'm implementing a new system, a new HR system at work. And I'm the one doing the lion's share of the work there because I'm the one who knows the most about the individual employees. So I am pretty much doing 10, 12 hour days, or at least I had the first uh, couple weeks of the year. It might taper down a little bit now, but I still have quite a bit of work to do. And I just don't feel confident that after very draining work days that I can come home and get all the stuff that I need to get done for the podcasts and the shop and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to slow down a little bit. I really, really, really wanted to release episode 122 as a fully, completely edited, polished and beautiful remix episode where we would uh, bring back our cousin from episode 22, I Am the Color of Water, Jesse Daner, and uh, update everybody on what's happened to him since he recorded a hundred episodes ago. His was episode 22. This is episode 122. Seemed like perfect timing. He and I got back together to record, uh, I want to say early December, maybe mid-December. And um, I started to work on editing that episode, but it's pretty labor intense compared to what I normally do for the show. And it's also just been the biggest, the busiest period for me in recent months. 
and I just haven't been able to get it done. It would actually be a lot easier for me right now to pick up a totally different interview and edit it and get it up than to get that one up in the way that I want to. But I'm hell bent on this 122. I wanted to, I wanted the poetry of a hundred episodes later because so much has changed in his life since we last spoke. So I'm not going to get everything I want. And what I've decided to do is I'm actually going to re-release his first episode with y'all today as a rerun so that you can, uh, for those of you who have joined us in the last year or so, may not be familiar with Jesse. And those of you who have followed us for the last near three years, you can get a refresher on what Jesse's story was. Jesse is a biracial black and Mexican man who was adopted transracially by a white family, raised entirely by a white family throughout his life. Um, although he also has an adopted black brother as well with that same family. A couple years ago, he went on to Ancestry and discovered a sibling, a biological sibling from his mother. They, at the time that we spoke in 2018, had only just recently met and started to get to know each other a little bit as people who happened to be biological siblings, but were both adopted out to other families. And it it's an amazing story. It is amazing that he had a family that adopted him under the circumstances that they had when he was an infant, that he was raised in such a loving and caring environment, but that also gave him access as an adult to his history so that he had a, a chance to meet the people he's related to biologically. You know, some of that story is filled with pain. Some of that story is filled with joy because he, he really does have an amazing adopted family. And I would venture to say that that family is his real family. The biological family are the people he's related to. We got together, like I said, in December to chat about the updates, to, to find out where he is in the relationship building with his biological family and its impact on his adapted family, the family that he was raised in. And I was going to be kind of intercutting back and forth between the past and the present. Like I said, a little too labor intensive for me to be able to focus on um, this month in particular. So I'm going to drop this rerun of I Am the Color of Water. And then the next episode that I will drop will be his most recent interview so that you can hear what's changed in his life since we first met in 2018. It's not how I wanted to do it, but it is how I'm going to be able to get it done, given my circumstances for now. I'm looking towards probably another month of really hectic day job stuff. And while that's not my main hustle, that's the bill paying job. Um, it is the, the, <laughs> it's the job that I have to prioritize right now. Um, so I am going to rearrange my schedule a little bit. There's some people I have had recordings done with since November that still need to be released. So everything's kind of getting pushed back just a little bit so that everybody gets um, their episode up while me also being able to, to drop them when I can. So you might see some scheduled episodes landing on Tuesdays like you're supposed to. And you might see some just get dropped midweek somewhere if I get that edit done just so that the episodes are actually available and out because of how hectic things are. And I hope you all work with me on that for a little while till things regulate during the day job and I can I can kind of go back to my regular schedule. Because I missed last week, I missed dropping some announcements that I really do want to share with you. And so I'm going to do that and then we're going to jump into today's episode. I want to shout out our Patreon sponsors. I don't know if I mentioned this on the last episode that I did record, but uh, we took a really major hit 
on the Patreon side recently. It was steadily dropping anyway because of COVID and, you know, everybody's money is really tight right now. So I expected drop with the Patreon sponsorship while people took care of their families. December, though, it, it dropped pretty significantly and it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to um, keep things going. But I also had some recent revisions to people's uh Patreon sponsorship or new sponsors. So we're going to, we, we lost a lot, but we're going to catch up, I think. And I just really want to shout out some of our recent new Patreon sponsors, Ginger, Alejandra, and Aaron. Shout out to all three of you for, you're all people that I have relationships with through Militantly Mixed. And I really appreciate the support of the show especially right now, because it really did help close the gap of what was lost in December. And then a special shout out to Evelyn, a very longtime sponsor, Patreon sponsor of Militantly Mix, who recently did a pretty substantial annual sponsorship. Um, And I'm just so grateful to have that, especially it was perfectly timed because I had a big annual bill due. And it came in just in the nick of time. And I'm, I just can't be grateful enough for that particular thing. Uh, that being said, Patreon is my main source of income for Militantly Mix. It is how I pay for all of the hosting fees, the uh, editing software, the email host website, the website host. Um, sometimes when I have to do extra audio cleanup, there's a, a service that I use for that as well. And those costs stack up and it is because of the Patreon sponsorship that I'm able to do that. When there is a little bit of extra money, that's when I do the extra swag and the the promotion and stuff like that. But predominantly, the money that is raised through Patreon is how the show just gets released. I I can have all the time in the world myself to do the work, but I still need the money to actually get the show out to you and... With these recent Patreon sponsors, I am actually able to catch up a little bit. And so I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. If you would like to support the show through Patreon, either monthly or annually, you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed. That link is always in the show notes as well. And you can also find a link to that on the militantlymixed.com website. There are different reward levels depending on what you pick. And like I said, you can choose between a monthly sponsorship as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish to a annual sponsorship, which is comes with a little bit of a discount across the whole year if, uh, if you want to go that way. Every penny helps. It really, really does. Um, so if you want to sponsor at the $1 level, or you want to sponsor at the $50 level, each one has a major impact across the whole year. So I do really appreciate it. You can also drop money in the paypal.me slash militantly mix. That goes directly into the militantly mix bank account as well. And all of it helps keep this show growing and growing. So thank you very much for that. Also, I did talk about it, I believe, two weeks ago because I knew it was coming, but I haven't been able to talk about it since it dropped. I have been a, a recent guest on a, a couple of podcasts. Uh, one is available right now, The Cat Maste Chronicles. It is a UK-based podcast that is hosted by Michelle Adams, who is a fellow mixed cousin. Their show is uh, covers sort of entrepreneurship and wellness and love of cats. So every guest that's been on the show 
is a cat owner or I guess owned by cats. And it was one of the most fun times I've ever had being a guest on someone's podcast. Uh, Cause we did talk about the podcast, uh, Militantly Mixed and Blurred Comics. We talked about Gulf Coast Cosmos. We talked about Mask by Maine. And then we dedicated a whole section of the interview to talking about being a cat mom, which is no accident because I do actually list being a cat mom as part of my identity at the top of my show. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. I had such a blast talking to Michelle. I hope to also get her on the show in the coming months once I once I catch up on the currently banked interviews that I have because it was really so much fun to talk to her. Cat Mess Day Chronicles is on all of the major podcatchers, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. So be sure to check that out. My episode will be easy to find because my name is is listed in it. But um, I do encourage you to listen to the other episodes as well because it's a it's a really nice podcast. Um, Want to help support another mixed podcaster out there? Even though the podcast isn't specifically about mixedness, it is more about wellness and entrepreneurship and cats. But it's really fun, and I I, I encourage y'all to check it out. I was also a guest on the multiracial white boy hosted by Kim Noonan. I don't believe my episode is out yet. Um, He drops the episodes on Instagram and all the podcatchers. So once it is available, I will update y'all. But in the meantime, if you want to check out another mixed race podcast, I do encourage you to check out Multiracial White Boy. He is also a transracial adoptee. And when he ends up being on our show, we'll learn a little bit more about that as well. But we we had a really great conversation about our identities as mixed Asians. You know, sometimes that identity is really tough when you don't look or seem Asian enough. And so that was a big portion of our conversation. So keep an eye out on that. You can also follow him on Instagram, multiracial white boy. You may catch when he drops the episode with me just because you follow him. Um, let's see what else I think, I think I do have to wait on this one bit of news, but I do have some upcoming speaking engagements that are popping up, which I'm pretty excited about. I will be meeting with a high school affinity group in Seattle, uh, sometime this coming week. And while that isn't open to the public, I will share a little bit about that experience next week after I have it. Um, looking forward to seeing what it's like to have an affinity group for mixed race uh, kids at a high school. I think that's going to be pretty exciting. Also, we will be doing our Militantly Mixed live stream panel discussion on January 21st at 5.30 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. That is going to be covering the topic of affinity groups at universities. So it's funny that I'm doing both of those things this week, purely by accident that the timing with the high school worked out the same week that I was doing the university one. We will be joined by Jay, who you remember from an earlier episode in 2020. And oh, actually, both of them were 2020 and Dakota. Uh, Jay is the founder of the Mixed Race Student Coalition at UVA, University of Virginia. Dakota Duffy is a director of the Mixed Student Union at UCLA. Both of them were on the show in 2020. We will also be joined by uh, Phoebe Fan from Mixed at Berkeley. And she has not been on the show yet, but she will. So I'm looking forward to having a panel discussion with uh, various uh, leaders of mixed race student unions on various universities. I think it'll be a really great conversation. You can check that out on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash militantly mixed or our YouTube channel, youtube.com. I think it's slash C slash militantly mixed. I think that's how they do vanity handles. But you can also just search for militantly mixed on YouTube. And you'll be able to click on the live stream then 
Again, that is Thursday, January 21st, 5.30 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and it'll also continue to be available after the live stream closes. I think those are the the big bits of news. This is going to be too long if I keep going. Again, thank you for bearing with me uh, this month, given that my circumstances kind of changed with my day job load. Uh, Hopefully things will go back to normal in mid-February and we'll get back on track. In the meantime, I will still try to maintain the schedule but things might be a little bit bumpy for the next few weeks. So we'll keep at it. We'll keep doing it. Um, Also, obviously, I do want to talk about what happened in our nation's capital on January 6th. Haven't even been able to record anything about that yet. And we're only two days away from the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden and uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. I am nervous about what's going to happen over the next couple of days uh, here in the United States, but um, I haven't had a chance to record on it yet. We'll eventually get to that conversation as well, among some other updates. But without further ado, <laughs> please join me in re-welcoming back our cousin Jesse Daner to the Militantly Mixed podcast with this rerun episode 22, I Am the Color of Water. for another episode of Militantly Mixed. My guest this week, I'm excited about because your story is a story that I didn't even know I really, really super wanted. I wanted something, I wanted somebody with a similar experience, but I didn't know how badly I wanted it until I talked to you. So I'm so glad you were going to shine a light on mixedness that we have not dealt with on this show yet. And I'm very excited. So my guest this week is Jesse Daner. And you are an entrepreneur. You are out there doing big things, fun things that I'm so excited to get into. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, let them know about you, and then we'll talk about your ethnic background and your upbringing and we'll get into it. Awesome. So my name is Jesse Daner. I am uh, 29 and I am from San Diego, California. Youngest of five boys. Just graduated college a year ago from SDSU. Go Aztecs. Yeah, I'm just a normal guy, normal guy in this world, but um, I have a pretty interesting story. Yeah. So one of the topics that I had tried to find people, so the show, the show's been running for about five and a half months, but about six or so months ago, I had posted something on a bunch of different mixed race Facebook groups that were trying to cover all of the different areas of mixedness that I sort of was either an, a part of the experience, had a cursory knowledge of, or just like knew it was a thing and wanted to talk to somebody because I like to be exposed to education that I don't have access to. And one of those topics was about the transracial experience, which is for everybody out there who thinks it's about being pretending that you're one race that you're not. What it actually is, is being of a ethnic group and raised, adopted and raised by people of a different ethnic group and raised within their culture. You are not only mixed race, but you are also a transracial person. So let's get into that. Let's talk about your your childhood and your upbringing and everything. 
Awesome. So um, all my life, you know, being black and Mexican, um, I not only stood out having a white family, um, you know, the classic phrase of being whitewashed has always been um, thrown around. around. So mm. um, I am, yes, I'm one of five boys, uh, but I'm really, me and my brother, Joey is his name. He was adopted as well, but he wasn't born in 86. So he's 86, I'm 89. And the rest of our brothers grew up either in North Dakota or London. So, um, you know, it's just been pretty interesting growing up with, you know, being two black boys um, adopted by a white family, living in a predominantly white neighborhood and, and community in North San Diego. So um, it was really interesting that me and you touched base. And I, you know, first talked to you and I told you I'm black and Mexican, but I was raised by white people. And you gave me that term of being trans-ethnic. And the only way I can relate to that is is I always tell people I'm the color of water because I was never, you know, growing up, I was never quite black enough for blacks. I was never quite Mexican enough for Mexican and I'm not white enough for whites. Yet I can assimilate and I can move and switch dialects between these groups. I can, you know, use my interview voice, my voicemail voice uh, when I'm around white people and mm-hmm. I can speak Spanish around Latins, which I love. And then if I need to, you know, dial it up for black people, you know, I can always get into that dialect and, you know, use slang and stuff like that as well. You know, if people really talk to me, they're like, well, what are you? You know, and I always loved that question when people ask me what I am, because, you know, technically we're all the same race. We're part of the human race, which is great. Uh, but so, yeah, part of my experience, just, you know, being born in 89, um, my whole life, um, not my whole life, but, you know, once it became apparent, I asked my mom, my adoptive mom, Sally, I asked her, you know, if she'll let me know who my biological parents are. And, you know, like most most parents, she was like, I'll tell you when you're 18. And I turned 18. She's like, I'll tell you when you're 21. And then I turned 21. Mm. And then she's like, I'll tell you when you're 25. And I turned 25. And then she finally said, I'll tell you when you graduate college. And that was the last one. And I did it. And the day I graduated or the day after, she handed me a card and it had you know, the most beautiful sentiments, you know, oh, she'll always be my mother. She loves me and I love her. But it included the name of my biological parents, which I was unaware of. Um, so it was really, really cool. So I knew my biological parents' names. I knew they were Sonia and Anthony. Um, technically, I would be, a, if I was still a Sonia, I'd be Sonia Perez. So I'd be Jesse Perez. Um, and that was the only thing I knew. And then from there, I started Facebook searching. So I searched them and I found my biological father's family. Um, and they all live in Temecula. And if you know anything about Southern California, uh, Temecula is on the other side of Camp Pendleton, just about. Mm-hmm. And uh, or at least on the east side, on the east side. And Oceanside is not too far away. So they, you know, I literally grew up maybe 30 minutes away from my biological dad's family and I didn't even know it. And I have yeah. friends, friends that go to the college that they go to and friends that live out there. So I met them and... It was really life changing because I realized that, you know, if I would have stayed with this, my biological family, at least my dad's side, uh, I would have been one of six kids in a household and, you know, not a big household. I've been sharing and my life would have been way different. Yet when I was adopted, I was one of two and I have all these opportunities and chances and just things I don't think I ever would have had if I would have stayed with that, my biological dad's family. Yeah. Um, just not bad. It's not bad. It's, um, you know, just something to think about. So then, um, which fast forward to 2018, here we are. Um, my mom, God bless her. She advised me to take the 23 and me, which I did. It was really, really interesting because then it showed me really, really like what I share blood with and and where they could be from. I knew I'm, I'm black. Of course, that's the first thing you can see to the eye. Um, but I have always felt closer to my Latin side. So it was really cool to see just, you know, okay, you share blood with these people and it could be here. And then a friend of mine advised me to do the ancestry test. 
So I took the Ancestry.com, the DNA test, and that one was a little better than 23andMe, but where it different, differentiated was it really, it connects you with the people that are already in that system and it tells you, hey, you guys are related or possibly related. Mm-hmm. So I remember it uh, like last week I took it and, uh, or not last week, I took it, last week I got the results and it was at two o'clock in the morning I got the results and I couldn't sleep after that and I had to be up at 10. So I slept or tried to sleep and I woke up at 10 and I was taking a trip with my mom, my adoptive mom, all the way to Big Bear to check out a summer camp for my business. And before we leave, um, I sent out a message to this, the only person that it says I match with, um, which her name was Nicole. So it says, hey, it says you might be matched with this woman. It says first cousins or closer. And I was freaking out. I was like, there's no way this could be possible. Um, yeah, because that's close to immediate family. That's crazy. And it changes like it, it you know, it's pretty crazy because your life changes, you know, within what, an hour, you know, an email. Yeah. So I, <laughs> it was unreal. And uh, as soon as I, you know, got into the car with my mom, I not only started looking and it said like, chances are that I am from, like I share blood with people from Chihuahua or Durango, Mexico, which not only gives me, you know, a specific location, but it, mm-hmm. it you know, helps me be able to tell myself in a different way to people, which is, which is great. So I was putting around there and then I came across the DNA matches. And like I said, it showed me, I think about 400 people, but the closest one, the only closest match I had was this woman named Nicole. So I click on it and it says, you know, first cousins uh, or closer. And without even thinking, I message her and says, hey, my name's Jesse. I'm from San Diego. You know, are you in San Diego? It says that we're possibly related. And then I I sent that. And then I, you know, just decided to be a little more investigative, investive. And I clicked on her profile and go got a little deeper. And her bio read, hi, my name is Nicole. And I was born with the last name Perez. And I was adopted in San Diego. And... I was like freaking out. I was like, that seems very, very unreal. And not only that says that we're possibly first cousins or closer, she was born with the same biological last name as I know my biological mom's name is. So I did what any normal person would do in this day and age. And I Facebooked her. So I just jumped on Facebook and Facebooked her and she came up and she was in San Diego and I'm obviously in San Diego. And I messaged her and I asked her, I was like, hey, Nicole, this is this is really random, but do you have Ancestry.com? And this was all, we'll say, I think the, the timestamp on my phone says 1035. So um, I'll read you the conversation that we had on Facebook Messenger um, and then, uh, yeah, tell you how we now are friends or now family. So yeah. awesome. So. Yes. So as we're driving up to Big Bear, you can't really you can't really get service on the way down the mountain. So I sent these up the mountain and they were on the mountain. We kind of did our tour. And then um, as soon as we got down to the mountain, the bottom in San Bernardino near Redlands, um, my phone started going off. So I sent this question to her, you know, does she have Ancestry.com? And then we get down the mountain at 235 and she responds. And this is what she said. She said, I do have Ancestry.com. And then it's zero. Wow, extremely confident that we're first cousins. That's what the website says. So I responded, uh, yes. And I was like, wait, wait. So I, I am adopted too. And I was born with the last name Perez. And she wrote back, that's crazy. Do you have any idea what your biological mom's name is? So I said, yes, I do. Sonia Perez. And yours? And then I wrote, I believe she has a twin too, which I believe had babies on my birthday. With my biological father's name is Anthony, but I've never met him either. 
What I do know is my biological father's best friend and my biological mom's twin had a baby together. And all of this took place where I was born in Chula Vista, San Diego. This is what my adoptive mom has told me. And then I asked her when her birthday was. And Nicole responded with, my biological mom's name is Sonia Perez. And I'm aware that I had two older siblings, a sister and a brother. Mm. And she said her birthday was 1991. So I wrote back, that is, that is so crazy. My birthday is August 17, 1989. I'm just in a little shock because I never knew if I had any siblings until I came across my biological dad and Temecula, his family, his family at least. And then I asked her when she was uh, adopted. So then she wrote back, my records tell me that I have a brother who was born in August 1989. But I have down, he was born August 18th and his name was Anthony and I was taken away at birth. That's what she said. So she was taken away at birth and I was like sitting with mom and kind of stumped me and, and, um, I'm telling my mom all this as she's driving and she's going back and forth. And, um, as we got to this point, I told her, um, I told my mom and she, uh, I asked her, well, you know, when was I adopted? And my mom was like, Jesse, you were adopted at three weeks old. And when I got you, I had to change your name from Anthony to Jesse. So my name was Anthony Perez when I was first born, um, which is crazy, crazy, crazy. So I wrote that to her and she first called me. And um, then Nicole wrote back. She said, my adoptive mom says that my that Sonia was able to keep her younger brother. She had a son after Nicole and she was able to keep him. So freaking out a little bit, I wrote back, mm-hmm. um, you know, they called me when I was born. My name was Anthony. And then she writes, do you have any pictures of your biological mother? And I'm saying, and I wrote, no, I do not. Sadly, do you? My adoptive mom tells me I have an older half sister on my mom's side, but I don't know anything about her. I have my birthday certificate and I've met my biological father's family. And they have some connecting stories about my biological mother and father such as Sonia having a twin or my adopt, my biological dad's sister going, getting incarcerated with my biological mom's sister. So only thing, those are the only things I, I knew. And then Nicole wrote back. She said, I do have a picture. Crazy thing is was a probation officer and Sonia Perez was one of her cases and she kept the photo for me. And I wrote, no way. I've never seen Sonia before, not even a picture. So yeah, my whole life, I've never seen any picture of anybody that's ever been related to me or I've seen one picture of my biological father, um, but he is still incarcerated. So it was probably an old picture. And then Nicole writes, your biological dad doesn't have any. And I told her my biological father told me that they tried to fight for me for custody battles. But at that time, um, my biological father got incarcerated. So that custody battle ended. So I stayed with my adoptive family. And then Nicole wrote back, I'm aware Sonia has a twin. She also had her children taken away and put up for adoption. And then she asked me how old I was at adoption, how old I was ever, like when I was adopted. And I told her three weeks. So crazy. So at this point, I'm sitting with my mom. And there's one thing that I, I mentioned to you that I've known about myself um, that my mom told me that was very personal, um, which I'll share. I don't have a problem with it. Okay. Um, it was just at this time with my mom, I was trying to figure out how do I ask Nicole this question, um, you know, without being too intrusive. Right. and. As I'm thinking it, she writes, I hate to be intrusive, but were you born with drugs in your system? And 
that really got to me because not only was that the question I was about to ask her, um, that answer to that question was yes. So how does this person know, not only know to ask this question, but she knows, you know, like it's, it blew my mind. Yeah. So I wrote back, Nicole, I know we don't know each other, but I adore you. I was debating on how to ask you the same thing. Because the answer to that question is yes, I was. I was born with PCP or cocaine in my system. And she writes back, the records that I have say that my brother was born with PCP and cocaine in his system. And so did she. She had that same thing, which is the reason why me and her were given up for adoption. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's... It pretty feels much how our conversation just as crazy to hear it the second time, even though you and I have spoken already. <laughs> like, it just rocks yeah. me. And, I, you know, I'm not even a part of your family, but it just rocks me that this is the experience that you have to find a biological sister yeah. and all that. Like, it's, it's so crazy. Yeah, it was it was really really I lost for words and after that that's kind of where the conversation um, you know I don't need to read the rest of it it just we kind of went back and forth and then we decided that we were going to meet so we met the day after Um, we had coffee and and down here in Seaport Village and it was we we already did the hard part you know meeting up that first time was the hard part Um, but as we're sitting there having conversation we sat there for probably for definitely easily over an hour, probably two hours and multiple times through this, you know, as we're sitting there, we just kind of, you know, sat in silence and just stared at each other because, you know, we share, you know, just the slightest things about each other, you know, like our eyes have the same, or, you know, we, it's, it was crazy to meet somebody that we share this experience over. And, um, not only we were both adopted, it was just the way that we were adopted. And so we met up and Nicole has this, this narrative, kind of like a script of um, what a social, you know, what a social worker would write about somebody that is one of their cases. And um, it was so cool to meet and, and to see this. And she let me read it. And it was, like I said, a narrative of, of not only of my biological mom's life for the most part, but, you know, Nicole's life. And it mentions me, how I'm like, just kind of like a cameo character, you know, in her, in her life. But right. the part that I was in is so, so pivotal and so crucial. So what I found out, what we found out, what we put together was um, Sonia was not only born and went to school here in Logan Heights, like near where I live um, right now. So not only do I live like five or 10 minutes away from where my biological mom, you know, ran the streets as a kid, but, yeah. you know, she went to middle school around here and she never went to high school and she run had her first run in with the law at 15. And uh, what we put together was Sonia had her first kid in 1988 and her kid, that would be my older sister, Karina, I think her name is. And then Sonia had me a year after in 89 and both of us, me and Karina were given up for adoption. And then she had Nicole. In 91. And then uh, Nicole was given up for adoption after some very, very troubling things with uh, Sonia's family and, and losing a sister due to drugs and, you know, them coming into that, mm-hmm. the police coming into that and seeing that, you know, that there's a baby on site and that's not a livable situation. And then two years later, Sonia has another boy that we don't know, but she was sober at the time. So Karina, me, and Nicole were all born with 
PCP and cocaine in our system, one or the other or both. Uh, so all three of us were, you know, taken. And then Sonia's sister as well, she had kids and they were taken as well. And she has a twin. Her twin's name's Miriam. So Miriam's kids were given up as well. And um, so we just kind of sat there and, and, you know, realized that this is not only a piece of puzzle for my life, but it's a huge piece for Nicole. And, uh, you know, neither of us had a younger sibling that we could, you know, really, really connect with. Um, I'm the youngest mm-hmm. of my family and she has two younger brothers with their special needs. But, um, you know, you can't really have that conversational conversational that you can have with, you know, a younger sibling. Um, so like I, like I told you, it was so crazy. What's really crazy is how parallel my life and Nicole life is. Right. Is my mom. Yeah. My adoptive mom works with worked with special needs kids for 30 years. And my brother's name is Joey and he's a police officer. And Nicole's family, all most of them work in police officers. She has a younger brother named Joey who is also adopted. And then Nicole works with special needs kids here in San Diego. And it's like she's on the board for a nonprofit. She's a teacher out of school. Yeah. So it's unreal because, you know, we're so we're so so close to each other. And we were laughing because she bought tickets to a beer festival that my my sister company, a friend of mine here on it. Um, they're hosting and she's going to that. And that's the only beer festival this month that I'm not going to. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have crossed out there. So it's, you know, the universe is, is, is putting you in places and, and having you cross these paths with people, whether you believe it or not. You know, um, if Ancestry.com didn't bring us together, this beer festival, you know, sooner or later would happen. So I think especially since you're just at the beginning of getting to know each other, that you don't even know all of the, the, the other things that you share that you have in common you're just barely scratching the surface of it and and to have so much in common already is it it, it, it's weird because all of the things are nurture based but you almost want to wonder if it's there's something nature based to it because you guys are actual siblings like it's it's wild and so what like when we spoke the other day i i had gotten off the call with you and i just like like high energy kind of tried to explain to my husband what had happened because he similarly is adopted and raised by white people but he's half white and half arabic um but his biological mother is the mother he was raised with his his dad he did not know until he was an adult that was not his biological father he found that out as a teenager and um and then forgot like as a young teenager and then forgot and then had to be reminded when he came of age. And, yeah. and I always could tell, cause I met him when we were 15 and I could, I could always tell he was a different race, but he was like, no, I'm white. My parents are white. I don't know. Later on in life, I found his biological father and we met him and I didn't really see much shared stuff between them. But when we met his biological father's other children, I saw a lot of s- similarities between my husband and his half-brother, his younger half-brother, the way they walked, their hands were very similar. Uh, they have a, a mole in the same exact spot on, on their face. Um, like really weird things yeah. like that. They actually resemble in a way that my husband doesn't resemble his white brothers that he grew up with. And that was a whole nother thing. The fact that he had white brothers and him and his sister were brown. And I'm like, how do you not know? But, you know, if you're raised by white people and no one tells you you're different, like you just think you're that's what they think. So, you know, I'm, I was like trying to, to talk about like, look at how different this whole thing could be. Like, this is your version of it, but this is his version of it. And, you know, I'm talking about, I was talking about you and like, I've been thinking about you 
a bunch since <laughs> since we talked because uh, yeah. because there's so many aspects of your life that um, uh, ways in which tragedy put you in a very lucky situation almost, but then you know you still are absent from your you know all of the cultures that you that you are mixed with, and so you you know you have to almost do the work yourself to expose yourself. But you still have this loving family that took care of you and nurtured you and s helped you to know who you were. Like, there's all these things ab about you from what little I know about you that is so, oh, gosh, I can't even think of the word that I'm feeling. <laughs> Just like, it's, it's wonderful that you have the people that you have. And now you get a chance to connect with your biological sister. And who knows where that's going to go for you in your life. It's just like, um, it's just, I don't know. I was, I was overwhelmed by being just a stranger that you told the story to. And I can't even imagine what it must feel like for you a million times as crazy as it feels to me possibly i know as as i was going through it um i told someone that it was as i was sitting there and she asked me that question if there's if i was born with drugs in my system it felt like someone had just turned on a faucet and i was crying as hard as i not even like tears of sadness it was like a relief like a sigh yeah. like a, a sigh of relief you know, and that I've met someone with this shared experience that you couldn't write. You know, I mean, you could write it now, but like you couldn't write this in a movie. You know, it was mm -hmm. unreal. It's just our her response to how she feels towards our biological mom to mine. And um, it's just kind of like, you know, and I, and I mentioned it earlier, like I have. I feel so connected to my Latin heritage and um, yet this is like, this is, I don't want to say it's proof because there's always proof, you know, I didn't need proof, but right. this is proof, you know, like, no, I share, like you stand next to this person. We are definitely from the same tribe, you know, and mm -hmm. I think my adoptive mom put it in such a good way. And she said, the only reason why this works now, you know, that not only reason, but one of the reasons why it works now is both of us, me and Nicole, have had really good adopted families and one of us wasn't better than the other. And, right. and you know, so it didn't feel like, you know, someone locked out more than the other and, and we're in a great equally position in our life. You know, not one of us is, is more off than the other. And um, there was something I said earlier that when me and you talked earlier that, um, you know, has to be mentioned, like me and my brother being raised in a family that was that is white, you know, and in. And I mean white, white, like we're from Montana, North Dakota, like <laughs> pioneer, pioneer, big sky states. And um, the reason, you know, the reason why it works is, is, you know, hats off to my mom in 1986, driving from, you know, the top of the United States to Tennessee and then back, you know, to adopt a, a fully African-American son. You know, my brother, and he was like a bear cub, like each, he had big paws at a kid, like he... <laughs> Is six, you know, he had like, we always told him, like, if he put, like, when he puts his hand in like a fist, it's like five hot dogs in one bun. It's like his <laughs> hand is so big. And uh, so it's, you know, hats off to her. She, you know, dealt with a lot of racism from the 86 to 89 and then moved to California and adopted me. And then obviously, you know, imagine my mom's story, you know, and then tailor it to my story. And then, you know, it's, it's uncanny. But one of the things that they peeped that the adoption agency told my mom when she was picking up my brother from Tennessee was, um, they almost didn't let her take him because everybody was so scared. You know, they were scared of the idea that if you take a black child, you raise it in a white household, he's going to lose himself. You know, he's not going to he's not going to learn this culture that is has been stripped of, you know, African-Americans in, in so many ways. Um, and 
my mom, you know, believed that and she understood that, but she didn't understand what it meant until my brother was about, like she didn't understand fully until my brother came home one day as a kid, you know, maybe five or four and, and told her that he wanted to be a firefighter, but he didn't think he could because he'd never seen a black firefighter. And I think that rings true. And it's why I, I don't get mad when we had that whole Black Panther argument, but it's, it's just that, that that's the point. Like so many kids, they never, they didn't think they could be president. They didn't think they could be Captain America. They didn't think they could right. be Superman because there's no strong black men portrayed in that we don't see ourselves in the media like that, you know, and it's it's hauntingly true. You know, and then how kids, you know, that's don't believe it. You know, they see it, they'll believe it. And if no one's around to convince them, unless they do the head or heart work, like, you know, they're going to be stuck into these roles that are pre-assigned to them based on their looks, you know. Yeah, it's it's uncanny. You know, it's it's very uncanny. And we talked earlier about how just me being black and Mexican, like there's a culture in that there is a huge culture in that. And it's one of the first mixed races that we have that we can, you know, put to date, you know, put a name on it was slaves, you know, interacting and, and mingling with indigenous you know, because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And yeah. uh, like I told you, the, the, the state of Guerrero in Mexico was named after Vicente Guerrero, who was African, who was a mixed, half black, half Mexican and second president of Mexico. And it's not erased from their history books, but it's not something that they openly teach and talk about. And, uh, you know, there are pockets of Mexico that have the biggest Afro-Mexicano population of over 100,000 people. And it's you know, they're still kind of like the, the taboo part of Mexico, which is crazy because I think, you know, we it's how did that happen? You know, the story of these places, these pockets, how they got the such rich, vibrant popula- population was um, slaves escaping from captive and they found haven here or a slave ship crashed off the shores and they all swam the shore and they just kind of lived there. So whatever it may, whatever the story is, because um, we won't know because it's written by the winners history. Um, it's it, regardless, the point is, is, is you have these Afro-Caribbean Latino descendants that are thriving and, and making this culture that is, it should be a culture and it should be a country in its own. You know, just imagine the food, the music, the, the lively, the love that would come from that. Because, you know, black people, a black household is filled with love. A Latin household is filled with love with terms of endearment. You put those together. I mean, you might be partying with the Corona and a piece of fried chicken until like six in the morning. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just great. You know, so I fullheartedly am a very proud African Mexican American man, and now that you know, you taught me even something about myself. Like I just thought I was black and Mexican the whole time, but this idea of being raised in another race's household when I'm already dual, you know, mixed race, mm-hmm. but then being raised—that's like that's a whole another layer, you know, and, and the thing that I would like to definitely dive into because Nicole, she was adopted by a Mexican family, so she's Mexican Mexican. She's adopted by a Mexican family, oh, so okay. yeah, so that you know, it's it's just that difference, you know, and and I'm yeah. the out of me. Karina and then our younger brother I believe I'm the only one that's that's mixed oh okay yeah so yeah so, so that would be that would be an interesting discovery too what what I do and I hope that as you go on your journey that you and I can check in on this so that you know I either my own selfish curiosity or being able to to show other people through the show my curiosity about you as you're unpacking the the transracial or trans ethnic side of you is I'd like to know a question that comes up a lot with with especially my white passing mixed race guests is that they don't always feel that they have a, a seat at the table like they they feel even less like they have a seat at the table because they don't want to take up the space of a and I'm using quotation fingers, real person of color, you know, like in terms of diversity hires or or whatever, just having a voice to talk about issues and things like that as a person of color. And what I 
like to understand is flipping it is being a person of color that is adopted with by white people and raised with a white culture. What is their voice and what is their and another quotation finger saying permission to have a seat at the table in terms of, you know, are they equally are you are they equally allowed to own a certain amount of whiteness, even though ethnically they're not white culturally, there is whiteness there. So like there, I I would definitely like to check in with you as you are uh, you know, coming going through that because I want I want to understand. Well, I want to understand all aspects of mis- mixedness, but I think that's a very interesting <laughs> part of of the whole pie of what we're what we are. Is that you know I am a believer that we should have a voice in all aspects. Like yes, I don't have the experience of a full monoracial black person or a full monoracial Japanese person or a full monoracial white person, and yet. I have all of these influences, both in my blood and in my cultures. So do I have a space to go to England, say, because my grandmother is, is British? Um, can I go there and insert myself as a Brit, even though I'm not fully a Brit? You know, do I have like, do you you grew up around white people? You have white people raising you. Do you have a voice in whiteness because of your upbringing? I, that is very interesting. Yeah, I, that's a that's an interesting topic. Cause I, I would say that you I, do because you were around it. But the you know what is the world going to to do to us? You know that this is a this yeah. is something that I want to I want to figure out. I want to unpack it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I I that's interesting you say that because on a completely unrelated note, I mean, um, I have you know at times I think like someone once told me. You know, if you're for ladies, at least, you know, and this is taken with a grain of salt, um, you know, to be on the cover of a newspaper or cover of a magazine, it's kind of that picturesque, you know, the lighter this, you know, you want a light skin girl, dark skin guy or vice, right? Like it's never dark and dark, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. part of that process of assimilation, you know, of, you know, that's why I want you to marry a white man. You know, he has a good job. He's going to provide for you. You know, that's right. You know, most minority families, their parents, that's what they preach. They don't say, you know, bring home a black guy. You know, they don't say that. So um, I've always at times, you know, think like it's really interesting because I am seen as a black man. But I do have, like I said, if you look at my household, I have more privilege than a lot of a lot of my white friends. You know, I have mm-hmm. you know, a place to live, a steady, you know, no bad credit. I don't have a baby's mama. I don't have these typical stereotypes that people place on black people. Right. But um, yeah, I guess in you know less words, I feel like at times I look at it's like how I wonder if women would look at me as a white man, you know, standing next to a, you know picturesque. Obviously not picturesque because of my skin color and all that and tattoos. But um, <laughs> it, it it is interesting. I, I I have thought about like you know what is the difference between me and a and a white man that in this case women are looking for or you know it's if you look if people look at me it's always the skin color. It's always yeah. like you know you must have family. It's like really that's that's so crazy. Like I no I'm. Yeah, it's crazy, which I don't, it doesn't eat me up inside. But um, one thing that, that you were saying that touched on is it's not that I feel like I have a voice for whiteness. If I can get that spot at the table, it's almost more of like, how do I have to convince people that I have a voice for being Mexican? If I go to Mexico and insert myself as a Mexican, you know, a Latino mm. Mexican, like, yeah. like you said, and then even more, like, I cannot tell you how many times people have asked me, at least that Black Lives, they, when Black Lives Matter, like, they asked me, like, how do I feel? Like, and that's like, wait, you're asking me how I feel, why Black Lives Matter, like I'm the spokesman for my race. <laughs> when, like we discussed, I'm coming from a white household. So it's like, 
you know, I felt like Kanye West. You know? I mean, like, what does Kanye West know that about George Bush that we didn't know? You know, why was he yeah. the spokesman? So uh, it was just it's I mean, it's crazy because I don't really feel like I have a voice for like whiteness. I've never really had a problem with that. Um, you know, when I sit down, it's, it's, you know, I walk into a room and it's a full of, you know, white people. It's my, my, my multiracialness and what I know about being, you know, my childhood and what I come from. It, to me, gives me a leg up, you know, it kind of makes me feel like I'm, I am different and, and kind of a commodity. But then when I go and talk to Mexicans or Latinos or, you know, African Americans, um, I feel like I kind of have to, I don't want to say work harder, but work harder to prove that I am part of that. Because, you know, if you dive in and, and dissect it, my white household, I wasn't raised with those cultures. So, yeah. and like you said, everything I've, I know about Latin culture, everything I know about black culture is, you know, mostly what I picked up from friends, family, um, not family so much, but friends on the street, social media, um, how people treat me. You know what I mean? Like I go into mm-hmm. stores and people, I've had times where people follow me down the aisles and I'm like, are you really? Like, I, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> I have so much, you know what I mean? I feel like, I really do feel like Ned Flanders or like, you know, like a really like sometimes a high, like an overbearing white person because I'm like, dude, I don't, who are we, who are we following? Are you following right. me? Wait, it's me? Like, <laughs> like don't you know, um, that that's the weird thing about like this mixed visibility and, and even maybe compounded with, um, with your adoptive culture too, is that it, I know a few people that have that transracial upbringing where um, some folks that were adopted during the sort of wave of adopting South Korean babies. And so I knew this one woman who was of Korean descent. She was adopted in Korea, and so was her brother, her non-biological but adopted brother. They were adopted by white people in Tennessee. And, And she says to me one day, I think I'm a white girl until I look at my face in the mirror or until somebody does some racist gesture towards them or towards her, she doesn't realize, like, she doesn't even identify her own face as part of her identity. She identifies her, like, Southern white upbringing as her identity. And people have to remind her that to the rest of the world, you look like an Asian. And she's like, but I'm not Asian. You know, and it blew my mind that she had this idea about herself. Because for me, I can't separate my facial features from my identity. Like, it's a very much a part of my identity. So that's kind of why I had the curiosity about talking to people who had this experience, because I wanted to understand, like, how do you get to your identity when your face doesn't match your family? And um, and so for you, not only being adopted by white people, but mixed race as well, aware of your mixedness, aware of your non-biological connection to the people that have raised you. And you're and like when we talked, you were like, I'm just kind of this little nerd Ned Flanders guy, but they're seeing me as something totally different. I don't even know what I want to say. I just uh, it's just an area (laughs) that we really need to to learn about how to deal with people and, and drop all of those preconceived notions. It's like part of the reason why I'm doing this show. And oddly enough, I have a primarily white audience from what I've discovered. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of mixed race audience as well, but um, I have a surprising, I, that's what I'll say, I have a surprising number of white audience. And the white yeah. people that do contact me after listening to the show will say things like, I didn't know I was making these mistakes. I wasn't aware. I thought I was colorblind. I didn't realize colorblind was racist, you know, things like that. And like your show is teaching me these things. And, and so I, I, I wonder, like, what would it take? For you and my, and I to be able to walk around the world 
surrounded by people that aren't like us and they would look at us and be like oh look at that you know fine young black mexican man who was raised by white people and look at that you know <laughs> fine young black japanese and, and british girl that was yeah. you know raised in the hood like when can we walk around and just be our mixed ass selves without having to wear it on a t-shirt or have it on a wristband or put out a disclaimer or a caveat like hey I know, I know I, my name is Charmaine Latrice Franklin, but when you see me, you're going to see a yellow girl, you know, like what is going to be the thing that makes this possible for us? Coming. I'm coming around the corner. Just be ready. Yeah. Like we're, yeah. The mixed folks are coming. The mixed folks are coming. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, 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 how do we get there? There's no answer to that, but you know, for all, for everybody listening, um, there's two things. One of them, but I have to say it before I forget. I have a friend who is half black, half white, and he, you can tell he's troubled, you know, and then I won't get into how we know he's troubled, but he's very, very troubled to the point it comes off in toxic masculinity and in, in, in other ways as well. And we kind of dove into, you know, asking him like, why is that? Like, why do you, why are you doing this? And <laughs> He he is torn apart. He has the internal struggle of of his mixedness. And like I said earlier, it, my mixedness is a source of pride for me and it's a source of strength. And I, I, I dig from it and, and dig from that well. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's endless. But he, like to the point where it's worrying, you know, it's worrisome. Like it's, it's this pent up, like not having a, tri- he doesn't feel like he has a tribe, you know, he doesn't feel like he belongs. And then, and then it comes out in, in ways of, you know, toxic masculinity and, and, and just kind of being a jerk. And it's, you know, his girlfriend is, is white and she's, you know, Texas white and she just doesn't get it. And I'm like, it's dangerous. That's dangerous. You know, like that's, yeah. you know, at the, at the, the, con- at the, the basic level of it is, is he feels like he can't belong, you know, cause he's, you know, he's not black enough for blacks and he's definitely not white. And you know, he's too dark to be white. You know, he's right. the paper bag test. He doesn't pass. So he cannot pass. So it's, it's scary. But, um, so with that being said, just know that, you know, for all those listening that like everybody's dealing through something and, and, and I don't know how we're going to get to the point where you can walk down the street and be your mixed ass self. But, you know, like this example is this guy, he, it eats him up yeah. inside. My brother and is it's, similar it's to that. It's sad. Very, very sad. And, and, um, yeah, you know, it, it bothers me. It bumps me out. Yeah. Um, I, I, it hurts me too when I meet other mixed people that haven't, that don't feel that sense of like, I'm very empowered by my mixedness. I, I, I feel uh, not really a specialness, but I, I feel like a, that I have this ability because I had to learn to code switch because of all of my different cultures and things like that, that I have this ability to engage with almost any kind of person across the board. I mean, obviously there's going to be people uber racist people or things like that that would be very difficult or if I have a language barrier or something like that but my because of my multiple cultural and multiple ethnic origins I I can plug and play to a lot of different groups and 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 fit in and I can also but I can be othered the entire time that I'm also fitting in and this I think is like it's a unique thing that we as mixed people have but when I but through the show, it's been a mixed bag of people who like love being mixed and other and, and investigate it and use it as part of their power, as part of their personality and things. And then I have those, you know, those folks, too, that come on and they're just like, you know, they're troubled, like your friend, like my brother. 
they they don't feel comfortable they because they never feel like they have found their tribe they are always in conflict with everyone or they they want to be a part of one of their ethnic groups and because they're darker or because they're lighter or whatever they can't get in all the way and and it hurt like it just like it it almost it, it almost like personally breaks my heart that they're feeling this way and I want to put a band-aid on it and I want to help get them through it and knowing that like that may not be their journey and I shouldn't necessarily insert myself that way. And yet here I am still sitting there on a pot, you know, on my mixed ass podcast talking about like, no, be empowered, <laughs> you know, do all this kind of stuff. It really yeah. does. It's so hard. And the flip side of that, though, is when a person who has felt like that way, when I can kind of in the softest way possible, bully them into talking to me about their mixed race experience, whether I do it for the show or not. Um, and then they do kind of get a little bit more empowered Then that part is is the thing that you know, gives me the sense of joy of like, there's a reason why I'm doing this show and connecting with all these people, why I, you know, why you and I found each other, why me and this other person found each other. And, and now we can not only uh, deal and unpack with our, the issues that we have, like I said, sometimes the show ends up being like a, a therapy session for whoever I'm talking with. And for me as well, because I still have my insecurities and anxieties, even though I'm, fairly confident in my mixedness most of the time. And I just, I just love that through this, these narratives that everybody is telling about themselves from their own, their own words, their own, my other, my other show that I produced, Black Radical Queer, Javi and Nicole, the host on there, she says, our stories on our own terms. That's very much like the idea behind this show is that, you know, I'm here to help create a space to so that we can tell our, our stories on our own terms and and like you coming out and just being like look this is my deal <laughs> like this is my whole yeah. deal and you know you're you're not sad or you're you're not um you know ragey or angry you're just you're just like this is the cards and and i've i'm living through it i've lived through it and i'm unpacking and i'm still dealing and i'm here and i'm empowered by it it just gives me like so much joy <laughs> to hear because yeah. parts of your story are very rough and very traumatic. And I, I, I have also a lot of trauma in my history as well. And But to hear that like you can have this positivity and this relief in your voice when you're telling your story, just, I don't know, it just makes me feel so good. <laughs> It just no, I feel I, so good yeah, hearing your story. I'm I'm glad to hear that, and it's like I said, it's I'm very thankful to have come across your podcast. And like I said, I just I really just googled mixed race podcast because I listen to tons of podcasts, or at least a handful of them that I follow. Everything from breakup to uh, my favorite murder, um, and this was just something I came across because it's it's something that's in my life very much. Obviously, it is my life, and right. um. You know, then it started, you know, then I found this and then it snowballed into my ancestry. And it just like, I, you know, how I reached out to you. And then I told you, like, you wouldn't believe my story just got much more complex. Like I know it was like from one the message to the other is like your life changed. <laughs> yeah, It was unreal. And it's it's crazy. The second thing I mean, I, there was something I mentioned earlier and I said I was going to say a second thing. Right, right. I, I didn't touch on it. It was about hair and how not only how that's part of my like. I've learned so much about my identity through my hair mm -hmm. and 
as I like, I just now started getting it braided. So it's braided right now. And, and it's probably the sixth time I've had it braided. And I have a black, black woman from the islands. She braids my hair and it's just, she's just, you know, and she even married a guy from the island that's here like on refuge. And it's like looking at his culture and then looking at African-American culture and then my culture. It's like, that's three levels of blackness mm-hmm. right there. Like from the islands, from Africa, Africa, you know, and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I had this conversation in my kickball league. These people, my good friends came up to me and I think, you know, a lot of people who aren't black will appreciate this that are listening. Um, she asked me, she's a, she's a white woman. And she's like, what do you call a black girl's hair? How would you, what word would you use to call a black girl's hair? That's not offensive. And that first it hit me because I'm like, okay, well, once again, I'm not, I'm not a black woman. You're not the spokesperson. It, I realized I do get away with being able to tell a girl. I told her, I was like, tell her it's nappy, tell her it's kinky, tell her it's natural. And all those terms, she was like, no, I'll get killed for that. And I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I just I didn't realize I wasn't that until you reminded me. Like, oh yeah, you're right. Like I do pass for this and I can you know I mean it's not and I'm not passing, dear God no, you know. I'm right. black by by look. Like I've had yeah. I think me, me living in Long Beach for a little bit and walking Hey, that's my town. CSU Long Beach in the house, um, walking the streets. Where me and my cousin were walking, the black guy walking and the woman's walking the same street, she crosses the street. And I was like, it is two o'clock in the afternoon on a college, <laughs> on a college campus. Like I'm black by, you know, I'm black by association. Apparently. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it, but it's really interesting because how do you refer to a black girl's hair that won't get you shot? You know, so and, and when you told me that and you said um, nappy or kinky, I, I clutched my proverbial pearls because <laughs> I was like, yo, don't tell a white girl to say that. <laughs> I'm just tell me tell her to say it let me know what she's I'll, I'll help you out no yeah um, <laughs> like natural she, and then I told her natural and she's like well what if I'm talking to a non-black person and I told her natural. that is when you you have to take the time to educate that person it's like there's no okay well how do I say it you know so there's no blanket term these are ritual kinky or nappy they don't get that take the time take the extra minute or two to explain it to them and educate them and like you said a lot of white people write you and all that and it's, it's not offensive it just blew my mind because like here's a woman that really wants to know and she just you know she trusts me enough to be vulnerable you know because it's race is very personal and people get really funky about it you know yeah. um I don't want to be a snowflake I don't want to come off and hurt somebody's feelings and so it's interesting you know and She's just, it was really interesting how interested she was in hair. Like my hair is different than hers. Like I don't even have black people hair. Like I have mixed hair and yeah, everybody's like, me. so good. Your hair's so this, this and that. And I'm like, I guess. Yeah. Hair, um, is, hair is a strange one because part of, and, and this would be because even though I look the way that I do, I have more of a black, a black hood specifically um, experience. And so my thing is that even a white ally who has a curiosity of black, about black hair, even me, who is mixed and pale and doesn't have uh, specifically black textured hair, I want to say, it's not your place to be curious. I want to say, why do you need to know about this? Um, that's kind of my gut reaction to it as, as sort of a black identified person. Yeah. But as a, yeah. as a mixed person and as a person who knows that even though it's not my job and I'm not getting paid to educate, if I... If I don't take those opportunities when they arise, I'm either creating a worse problem down the line or I'm, you know, maybe even just putting that person in a a risky situation because she's going to ask 
the wrong person <laughs> or you know whatever charmaine said it was okay you know but... like don't say my name um but yeah <laughs> i was like don't be telling everybody don't don't put my name out there on the streets uh but yeah like i i i feel these both like it's both a gut punch and an opportunity and so i you know i i try to take these moments and be like well well look let me explain to you why you asking that question will set somebody off and make people make somebody uncomfortable and then, you know, you kind of explain all of the different things that that the traumas that we have um, surrounding our hair, the fact that no matter what, our hair is considered unprofessional. And yet, if the world was predominantly black and a white person walked around, you know, with their stringy hair, we'd be like, "Ooh, that's unprofessional. Get an afro. What's wrong with you? You know, like there's if we flipped it, it could it would be a totally different thing. So it's it's trying to find these opportunities to be like, is it okay to be that curious? And if it is okay, what are we allowed to share with you? Like, you know, what do I want to give you from our culture? And you know, give you just enough that, you know, that I'm not losing my culture, like culture appropriation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what am I giving you that's still going to be ours? Like, we're going to keep the N-word. You know, y'all can't have it back. That's ours now. No. But what are things that terms that she can use? And I think it was just a, an area for me to, one, it was interesting because she wanted to know. And two, she has kids. So I'm like, hopefully this will pass on to her generation right. and then their kids' generation. And then racism will, racism will be gone forever. No, um, but in that hair, situation, it, I probably would have told her that you can just call it black textured yeah. hair and white textured hair and Asian textured hair, you know, like, and just kind of call it the texture versus describing the different, because even black hair is not consistent. Like there's like, she was looking for hair products. So if you go to a store and ask for hair product, like, what are you going to say? What's black texture hair product? Yeah, that that would be, that would be sufficient enough for somebody (laughs) who is working in the kind of store to be like, here's the black hair section. Uh, (laughs) Like, so here's, here's the thing. My, my mom is Japanese and white, but she is a hairstylist for exclusively black people. Like she only does black hair. Actually, she has one Mexican client and that's because that Mexican client has very curly, thick, thick hair. Yeah, it's not quite like black hair, but it's like hella, hella thick and curly. Um, And so she gets relaxers through my mom and stuff. And so, you know, my mom can talk about it very clear and in a non-offensive way she has a a a dedicated clientele that have been with her for 30 years and stuff like that so um i've always said black hair and um and then i it occurred to me once when i was talking to an asian woman that was not from the states and i said my mom's a hairstylist for black hair and she goes she only does people whose hair color is black and it was a whole thing that was like oh i actually do need to change how i say this for some people so yeah i include the texture because anybody who's in a, a hair store would at least know or uh, like a, a product shop would at least know like oh there is actually different products for um people with black textured hair for mixed folks though there is a couple of different companies that do do hair um that do have hair products specifically for mixed people and i'm really really hoping i can get one of the the um one or both of the owners on the show if i can i i have i have not found a connection yet uh, but there's a, a hairline called mixed chicks and it is all kinds of products that are catered to different s- different aspects of mixed hair and so that's you know that's kind of dope that like that exists now i was driving down the street in los angeles on my way to a job interview there was a billboard and it had um oh shoot what's her name Kersey, Kersey something. She she's the mixed race girl that was in Dope and oh okay okay 
so she yeah. was on the billboard and it had a hashtag like like um mixed my way or something and it was yeah. mixed chicks hairline products and it, or my mixed hair story or something like that and and it was the first time in my entire 41 years that i saw mixed people being mixed on a billboard that it wasn't like the 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 token mixed person with a whole bunch of white people or whatever it was just a mixed girl with her mixed hair on a mixed hair billboard and it was amazing <laughs> I think we had that discussion where it's like, even though if you're mixed, like you people want to, I have to put you in some sort of box for my head mm-hmm. to compute it, right? Either like Halle Berry or Barack Obama or Bruno Mars, like you're black or Mexican. You're not, you can't be both. Right. Like, and that's what blows my mind. And, and hair not only tells so much about it, like hair, what? I don't think you, I don't know if you realize, but African-American black people's hair is the only hair that grows towards the sun. It grows up. That's no a, hair does that. That's an interesting way of saying it. Right? I mean, really? Uh, I'm not. I Someone told me that and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Our chosen race. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, but really, though, like it's I, I, I've changed the way I've thought, you know, since I've since I heard that, like we really only have the only hair that grows towards the sun. Like and I don't know, like so something you said was like, you know, I used to like hair. Right. I got had dreadlocks. And as soon as I cut my dreadlocks, I got a job like my hair wasn't appropriate. Black hairstyles are, you know, they're very this is very you have to be this way. Right. Right. Keep it high and tight. But when when we first when when people first got slaves, they got them from all over Africa, from tribe. You, they would capture people from different tribes that would never even meet different languages, different currencies. Mm-hmm. And they would toss them in a room, a boat together and expect them to, to find common ground, you know. But with that being said, a long time ago for hair, you used to be able to tell whether someone was single, what class they were in. Yeah. If they have any people, you know, how many brothers and sisters, you could tell so much by someone's hair. And when they got us as slaves, they got it, you know, they just take all the hair off. They're all the same. Shave my life. Yeah. And if you look at it today, like that's what that's scary still into our system. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, if you want to express yourself through your hair, that's fantastic. But better hope you're going to be a rapper or something. Like, you're not going to get, you know, unless you yeah. keep your, your really high. How long, you know, and how long it costs really expensive to get dreadlocks to keep them really nice and clean. Like, mm-hmm. um, not many people have that. So it's, if you just think about, you know, being colorblind is not enough. It's, it's because they're not acknowledging these differences like, yeah, like our I- hair. I Being mean, colorblind is downright erasure and it's uh, it's a horrible practice. And it's one of those things that I know in in white allyship, it's it's an attempt to be an ally. But really, it's one of the worst things that they can do or say <laughs> because they they're trying to erase us to make us feel like them. And we don't necessarily want to feel like them. We want to be ourselves and express ourselves. I mean. Imagine if nowadays we braided our hair with maps back to our home the way the way slaves did before they started shaving hair off. You know, like there were our our hair told a story. Exactly. And it, you know, and and we're being told that now that that's unprofessional or, you know, but then at the flip side of it is when a when a white person uh, appropriates a a black hairstyle then they're courageous or they're beautiful in some kind of way and and that that discrepancy even in 2018 is this <laughs> is so bizarre that this is a thing um, um a book that i really would like to recommend for uh, yourself and anybody listening that i read 
when I was in school. It's called Colorblind, and it's by a guy named Tim Weiss. And it's um, about the rise of post-racial politics and the retreat from racial equity. And it's told by a white guy, but he is, how I would put it, um, he's a white guy that I would invite to the family barbecue, um, mm-hmm. for sure. He is so, so cool. And if you could just YouTube him or whatever, but like that, he really changed the way of thinking of like, don't be colorblind. Like you said, it's that's worse. You have to acknowledge these differences we have and then put that forth into what it is that we're moving into. Don't act like we're all the same because there's we're not like, you know, none of us are the same. Even those that are the same color, same height, whatever it's we're all different so it's really really good i think i had to read it for like a sociology class but hmm. um that's well the whole and that gave me the idea of being in the color of water you know you put me in any any surrounding and i can fit in you know i can i can definitely make it um and it's always amazing i lived in costa rica i lived in panama and until i speak people think i'm one of them you know and <laughs> once i speak, um they're like okay he's not and then i had a really good conversation with a woman in panama during the time of the las vegas shooting um about not only our, our you know state of a country but like you know just being raced and it was unreal how people think you know they really only believe what they see on tv you know like whatever we show them yeah. they think that like a lot of times i tell people i'm from california and they'll say anything from like um you know, something has to do with California, like Pamela Anderson or something like Baywatch. Like, what? That's not even. It's that's still what it's big like. everywhere else. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. So it's like the, the the blonde with big boobs. Like, that's still the that's what people think California is. You know, it's crazy to me. If you ask me, like, no, California, Tijuana, uh, Texas, Arizona, that's California. When I was born, it was Mexico. When I die, it'll be Mexico. Uh, as Edward James almost said in the familia. Like, I don't know. I it feels so indifferent. Living here in San Diego and, and being so close to the border and being mixed race and and I travel across the border quite often just for tacos um, <laughs> and to get a little culture and to get a little culture and you know thankfully knock on wood um, nothing's ever gone bad but it's you know the, the stigma that people have about yeah you know what they don't know you know people fear me for what they don't know you know they just until they get to to talk and then see that I'm like you know what we're doing right now you know I'm. Yeah. One person, you know, just another guy. Just the- And isn't that the thing that sucks, too, is that um, if people are just going off of sight and what we look like there and whatever their preconceived notions about that are, is they're missing a full ass conversation with the with a whole ass person, you know, like this amazing experience that they could have. But they've decided because of skin color or build or whatever that, you know, I can't associate with you or you're too dangerous to associate with or whatever, you know, to not investigate who this person could possibly be. You as well, you have this amazing adult adventure camp company and everything like that. You you can expose adults to like childhood joy and like letting themselves go. But if they're if they're if they have some preconceived notion about about people with black skin, is they're going to look at you and be like, "Oh, no, no." Like, that's ridiculous. They could actually be exposed to something amazing if they just took a moment to talk. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what that's what all this is about, is that we we need to start communicating, engaging. And the biggest or what I think is the lasting important aspect of this show, hopefully, will be creating a footprint of mixed race experiences because... I'm talking to people that have so many very different experiences that hopefully down the line, because they'll be online and hopefully the Internet will never never die and it'll be there forever, that people will say, oh, there were mixed people who had this experience one day. Because right now we don't have those stories. We can't dip back very far. 
you know, like you said, history is written by the winners and the winners weren't always the biracial or triracial or multiracial people. So I hope I hope through this show and our continued conversations and things like that, that we we start to build that uh, bridge (laughs) instead of instead of walls. I I agree. I think um, a lot of these I mean, a lot of racist things, I think, like to me in layman's terms, how racism is so easily happen it's like you know someone in your lineage or your or you or you know your lineage was something happened you know let's for example like your wife ran off with an asian guy and then it's easy to say Mm -hmm. i hate asian people so nothing is i'm never going to do that yada 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 and then it takes you know time on for someone that comes along of that descent to do something to break that mold you know what i mean right and that's it's seen in so many movies you know what i mean like no this black guy you know i was robbed by a black guy when racism was prime of course right because we're pitted against each other and now you're old and your son has a best friend or your wife your daughter's marrying a black guy like you're gonna hold these resentments with you you know and carry them with you until someone comes along and disproves them you know and like Remember the Titans. That was the whole thing. Like my whole family, that guy's whole family hated Superman. His whole yeah. family hated black people for whatever reason, because they're stealing your job or for whatever. And then he realizes like, no, nah, this guy's fighting. He's, you know, he's fighting for my life. He's saving my life. Like, regardless of my skin color, he has all the right to hate me. But and then that's what changes people's things. And, you know, we all find ourselves in that situation. You know, girl, your, your boyfriend leaves you for a girl. That's whatever. Or your you know, guys, girlfriend leaves her for another guy. Like, it's very easy for people to, you know, you know, men, men will hold grudges. You know, it's, it's easy to, to create a stigma. We don't, well, you know, women we don't hold realize. grudges, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's crazy, you know? And, and, um, I think that's one thing my mom's always been really great at. And she taught us was it's not the color of somebody. It's not their, you know, the creed it's, it's their humanity. You know what I mean? Like how are they as a human? I think, yeah. you know, you don't got to be white or black to be an asshole. You know, you don't got to be a certain color. So it's, yeah. yeah, for real. So we're getting close to our time. So there's a couple things that I like to do to wrap up the show. But before we do that, I wanted to talk. I wanted to hear about your adult summer camp. Will you will you tell the audience about that? Um, You know, after all this is being said, um, I've had a normal childhood, of course. And um, in 2010, I went and lived in Costa Rica and I was out there for a little over half a year. And I was out there because not only was I on academic probation, I lost my license and the state of California was not happy with me. So um, my mom was like, why don't you, you know, do something productive with your time? Live abroad, teach English or, you know, shoot the shit or whatever. And um, a friend of mine who was a really good friend, Rory Graham, uh, he ended up passing away and he was one of the most phenomenal people I've ever met and one of the first black cadets as a pastor at army Navy in Carlsbad. Um, and they're going to name a building after him and he's going to be the first black cadet to have a building named after him on campus. But before he passed away, he mentioned me going to this company called international volunteer headquarters. So I just looked it up and I ended up living abroad, um, teaching English based off of his recommendation. And I came back and, um, had kind of a better direction on what I wanted to do. And in 2012, my childhood sister, a young lady that I grew up with in Oceanside and went to 
preschool together all the way through high school and community college. She ended up passing away and her mother asked me to speak at her funeral. And I said, of course, you know, Echo is her name and Echo is very much like me. She was a social butterfly and um, knew everybody and was always the life of the party and loved looking her best. And as I was up there speaking, I just realized that all the people that I I knew from her in connection to her and, and how many people knew me. And um, I mean, everybody from work to play to my ex-girlfriend at the time her baby's daddy knew her and everybody in between and um at the time i was looking at starting something that mattered with a friend and we were looking at flag football but he didn't want it to be co-ed so we switched uh we split separated ways and then i came across dodgeball and unbeknownst to me you know i found out that not a lot of women like getting hit in the face with playground balls (laughs) so i had to find a different sport and i came across kickball and kickball was played in 32 states including alaska and they play in the president's backyard um which there's a park back there so i don't know about this president but they play in old president's backyards (laughs) so with that being said i looked from where i am in north san diego from escondido to the coast of oceanside and carlsbad and at the time there was no kickball so i started my league and started with eight teams and within a year i ended up moving to carlsbad and kicking it there and we've had 24 teams which is our highest and then right now our season has 15 teams on it and there's 20 people on each team, all co-ed. So we play Friday nights. That was the first time I got my start. I've been kicking it ever since. Uh, we play four seasons a year. And while I started that, it kind of it definitely snowballed into what I do now, which is I make giant games. So I make giant Jenga, giant Connect Fours. I have a giant pool table that has soccer balls that you kick. <laughs> I have giant beer pong, um, any kind of lawn game uh, or old school child game like Mancala or Kerplunk, um, I can make it. So um, people start hiring me to bring them out to festivals. So I do a lot of beer festivals. I do weddings. I do birthday parties. I've done sororities and fraternities. Um, and those were kind of separate, you know, kickball and games. And then I came across this idea of doing team building. So if I have any gift besides woodworking and making things, making people happy, it is facilitating groups of people. I have a very slick tongue. Uh, sometimes it writes checks that my ass can't catch. But, <laughs> but um you know, for the most part, it, it does what it's supposed to do. And um, I started doing a lot of team building, corporate team building. And that's what led me to what we're at today, which is a 21 and up summer camp for adults. So it's a four day, three night, all inclusive uh, summer camp. But it's like a team building slash like team Olympics. So you sign up and you get a color, any color you want. And then that's your team. And you guys will stay in a cabin. All your food will be provided. We have sponsorships from Pizza Port here in San Diego. And then we also have Naughty Barrel Brewing, any brewing company out here, honestly, because San Diego has so many. Um, but we've had um, a liquor company that does our tequila. And then we have whiskey out there from Hanaberry. So all your alcohol is included. Your games are included. So you do anything from like a team Olympics. So you're competing against other teams and ropes course, mountain biking, and archery tag. So you get to shoot each other with bow and arrows, but it's <laughs> safe. It's safe. The arrows have cotton balls on them, and it's, you wear masks. It's more like a, a LARPing, like a cosplay type thing. Uh, mm. So we have everything like that. And then you have pool time. We have concert. 
um, a concert at night. We have a talent show. And then my personal favorite is we're going to have um, campfire stories. So we'll have somebody out there, hopefully a, a good podcast out there that'll be telling us some horror stories uh, and some scary stories while being in the forest. Because everybody knows you stay out of the forest. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to get murdered. That's the best thing. So, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not selling a product. I'm selling the nostalgic experience of how many of us, you know, especially mixed race, how many of us didn't get to go to camp and be ourselves. Imagine going back to camp now and being your best self and wearing your onesie and going with your girls or your boys and, and, you know, being able to cut loose. And my mom went this past year and she won our costume contest so and my mom is 65 years old (laughs) so don't get it twisted she's out there to pull up and wreck um but yeah so it's i haven't worked a day in the past five years you know my job um echo echo shepherd that is her name um we are echo athletics the camp is camp echo um even till this day echo is helping me connecting me to people that I never would have met. She's got me to work in Panama. We're starting a school out there. I'm very close with Echo's youngest sister, who was a newborn when Echo passed away. Um, and I've never had, you know, obviously I've never had a sister. So it's, you know, and this girl is in love with me. She's smitten by me. And I am telling her about her sister that she'll never get to meet and how her Aww. sister was mine, you know? And it's, it's crazy. You know, it's my experience makes me tear up that experience makes me tear up too because it's you know it's just it's proof you know i mean it's people only die when you let them die you know people are only gone when you let them be gone like her sister's still here with us and she has pictures i can tell her like this is how your sister was like she she illuminated a room to walk into it and you know her uh, unreal very very unreal on, on the whole situation but like i said i left my job at adidas for six years to do this and i you know, graduated college and my department would brag about me and tell students that, you know, you could do this with your degree. And yeah, I always tell people, you know, death is not inspires a lot of growth, you know, and yeah. um, we all are connected by this, this thing of death, you know, it's a cycle. So, um, you know, that's the cool thing about this whole thing is, is echo athletics. Anybody I talk to has a story about someone they love that, you know, is not with us. And it's always interesting. And I love hearing how they're, in their memory of life, you know, if it's doing an ofrenda or if it's doing a, rock, a, a run for suicide or, you know, everything in between, um, you know, I get paid to, to have people have fun. I think that's a great job. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Before we get out of here, uh, a lot of what we talk about on the show does sometimes start in trauma or trauma is a portion of our experience because of our identity quest and everything like that. So one thing that I want to I want to do with everybody is find out what is it about being mixed that you love the most? Oh, I was going to say, if you're going to ask me how I survived, like I survived. Why do you think you survived? <laughs> um, <laughs> I survived. No, um, what do I love about being mixed? That's a good question. Um, being put on the spot. Final answer. Um this is this is why I love being mixed. I love being mixed because life is like a Gatorade, you know what I mean? And if you think about, we all grew up with the red, the blue, the orange, right? The basic colors. They're not flavors, right? What flavor do you want? I want red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
then something beautiful happened. Gatorade came up with this hybrid, these hybrid flavors. And one that is so popular in Latino Mexican culture is cucumber Gatorade. It's cucumber lime. And that to me is so, so crazy because that is what being mixed is, is when two cultures come together and they infuse into something, it not only changes the culture, but it changes your food, it changes your music, it changes your people, it changes your language. And, you know, that's, that, that is monumental, you know, that's how you can build empires off that. So like a Gatorade, you know, it's, it's the marrying of two very unique cultures and flavors that some people may say that they don't like, but if you try them together, you, you know, it's beautiful combinations. And that's what I love about being mixed is, is I am this beautiful mix of these cultures that built this country you know i mean they really did they built this country um but i'm you know just the idea of being creative and and the 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 latin flair and the uniqueness of just being black and the i don't know the amazingness of the the uniqueness of being white and and i love all that and mixed together it's it's just made me who i am and that's why i love being mixed is is i'm not in one box, you know what I mean? I'm I'm all the boxes, you know, and, and I, I love it. I wouldn't trade it, wouldn't change it for the world, you know. And, and I always tell people like I'm half black, half Mexican, I could jump a fence, you know what I mean? If I really need to, there's no fence. <laughs> no fence. Nope. Yeah, yeah. Like no, like it's it's just so it's a beautiful. Like I, I look I fall in love with myself every day. Just being mixed and in talking to people and speaking Spanish to them and then they're like taken aback, you know, like oh, like, I didn't think that. And it's, you know, the ability to surprise people every day, you know, and because and, I'm not what they think I am, you know? Yeah. I love that. I love being mixed because I'm not who you think I am. <laughs> <laughs> surprise! <laughs> that, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with, with me and with the audience. Um, thank you for reaching out to me on Instagram. I'm, I just really appreciate that you found the show and that you're, you participated so quickly as well. I, I am really grateful. But before we get out of here, why don't you tell everybody how to find Echo Athletics on social media? So you can go to echoathletics.com for our website or you can search us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and everything in between at Echo Athletics. Yeah. You can always come and kick it. Cool. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.